Welcome to episode 264 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review round five of the 2023 NRL season. We preview round six of the NRL season, the Easter round, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to episode 264 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, Easter is upon us. How are you going? Have you have you, have you you got the Easter eggs going? Is I do, Dr. Uh, T. Yeah. I do, I do. Uh, yeah, look, I've got the Easter eggs going, and it's a great time. Uh, you know, the four-day weekend and like, you know, the Easter show and, um, you know, the Tigers season has died and let's hope they get resurrected on, on well, Easter Monday, you know. That's... Well, the Tigers did play on the weekend, uh, didn't play very well, um, but, you know, it wasn't, it was no April Fool's joke, uh, <laughs> the way they played. In fact, did they play April on the Fool's Saturday? Joke. It was the, his April Fool's joke, it was. But look, um, we will talk about the Tigers. I should mention at the top that, yeah, we'll definitely dive in to see what is going on with the Tigers because there's not much going on at the moment. Um, but yeah, April Fools. Look, speaking of April Fools, um, I don't know if anyone out there caught any rugby league related April Fools jokes. I only really saw one, and it wasn't even uh, a bad one because I it, mm. it, it was plausible. Uh, I saw the my my Parramatta Eels on social media posted an image of a special Easter round themed jersey, which looked like a bunch of Easter eggs. Uh, I actually thought it was pretty cool. Um, turns out it was an April Fool's joke. I actually thought, no, you know what? They should sell that. That would be really awesome. Uh, I'd buy it. So, look, that was uh, that was the extent of what I saw. Pretty disappointing. The uh, pretty disappointed, sorry, in the uh, rugby league community that we couldn't come up with better ones. I mean, yeah. I was fully expecting Joseph Swali to turn around and go, uh, "Gotcha, I'm uh, I'm not leaving the Roosters," <laughs> you know, or something mm. like that. But no, no, it wasn't to be. Um, but yeah, did you catch any tish uh, from the rugby league community that we can talk about? Look, not any that I could think of, and uh, not any that I expected. Because look, let's let's be honest. I think uh, rugby league and celebrations of of different things uh, hasn't gone down uh, too well. Um, you know, have, have pro jersey, pro jersey. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just wondering, maybe the uh, the Easter, the April Fool's jersey for Parramatta was not a joke, right? Maybe it was serious. Ooh. But just half the team. Of that. But there was a, a rift in the team. Half the half the team didn't, didn't want to win the Easter full. Easter. Yeah, you, the, know, the, you know, I did notice that down the bottom it was uh, it, the artist was signed Des Hasler. So you know, like you never know what what's he up to nowadays. 
Yeah, anyway. exactly, exactly, exactly. So look, look, I don't know, but look, you know, but um, you know, like, yeah, but I, but I think you know, I mean, St. Pat's Day, like, you know, nobody was wearing all green, you know, like um, that, like they could have even had the green machine play, like for example, you know, um, you know, but but, the, but these are the things that just don't seem to tie in anymore, right? Like, you know, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, and we did see some. Uh, well, yeah. Speaking of Canberra Raiders, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, look, let's launch into it. There's quite a lot to talk about. Let's launch into tackle number one: the review of round five. Here we go. All right. So. You know, the tackle five continues. Uh, sorry, round five continues the uh, uh, some of the successes of the NRL, some of the drama on the field, but also uh, some pretty good crowds still turning up to rugby league, uh, despite the fact there are some wayward scorelines at the moment. But look, that the round five started with a pretty good uh, uh, first game with the Roosters defeating the Eels twenty-eight to twenty in front of. 20,000 or so fans, which is really great at Allianz Stadium. But don't let the scoreline fool you. I think uh, the Eels had two late consolation tries that made the scoreline much more respectable. This was a a shellacking by the Roosters, and really uh, the Eels are in a little bit of dire straits at the moment. They're coming, I think, third last at the moment and should be a lot higher considering how close they've been in recent matches. Um, the Raiders were demolished by the Penrith Panthers, 53-12 to 12 in front of 15,000 there at Canberra. Um, there was a bit of, uh, a bit of blowback to a, uh, a is it? A, mm. a, a reference to a dog. And, a reference um, to the week got a dog comment. And, that, uh, uh, yep, yep. And, that and some diarrhea, right? So, uh, yeah. We got it. Yep, yep. <clears throat> we got a dog or whatever that means. I don't know, but look, apparently, apparently, uh, is it Jay? What's his name? Jaden Salmon. What's his name? I think Jared it's uh, Jaden Salmon. Uh, Salmon. Sorry, yeah. he is a Salmon. Um, but he, uh, but he uh, wolf like a dog uh, in response to scoring a try. I think, and uh, you know, made some comment screaming at Ricky Stewart. Which um, look, a lot of people. Uh, I don't know which side you of the fence you fall here. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, I think if you try to explain this to someone who didn't understand what the back history of this is, you'd uh, you'd you'd uh, work yourself up into a bit of a pretzel because mm. it's very convoluted. But needless to yeah. say, uh, you know this refers back to a comment that Ricky Stewart made about Jaden Salmon in uh, a couple of years ago, I think, where he called him a weak gutter dog because he uh, when they were younger. Uh, when when uh, when he was younger, he uh, made some comments in the junior football about uh, Ricky Stewart's um, disabled son, I think, something like that. Anyway, and so he's never let that uh, grudge go. I think Ricky Stewart. I can understand that. That's a you know, you, you kind of get mm. to thinking, even though that their kids were a kid who would say something like that about someone who's disabled is. Uh, not quite right, <laughs> not, and not uh, you know has a few issues <laughs> to get over, I guess. Um, yeah. But then the argument is, well, you know, 
I mean, come on, he's an adult now. Like, surely he's learned his lesson, and he didn't mean, you know, even if he didn't mean it back then. He was anyway. So yeah, a lot, a lot of controversy there. Some people saying, mm. you know, Ricky Stewart's uh, living rent free in Salmon's head, or and the other one saying Salmon's living rent free in Ricky Stewart's head. So look, either way, uh, it's mm. it continued. The grudge match continued. And to be honest, I think it's quite pathetic on 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 his side to to do that, um, considering he was the aggressor to begin with when he was a, a in juniors. So um, I don't know what else to say. I think there there was also that kind of other controversy that we've seen with uh, Paul Kent talking about uh, the Penrith Panthers being, um, you know, mm. very you know, lacking class, shall we say, and that this is one example of it. Not the first time, you know, we've heard about Jerome Luai, uh, Stephen Crichton, others mm. being blasted in the media. Sons, about their... the sons, something about sons and Parramatta, I remember that. Oh, the sons, the sons situation. You're our sons, you're our sons, and then they got beaten by St. Helens. <laughs> so are they Saint, the sons of St. Helens, are they? I don't know. But look... Um, yeah, Let, that kind of... well, let's go through the rest of the games, and then uh, I'm sure we'll talk about Penrith as well, right? So yeah. Oh well, yeah. I was hoping not to, <laughs> but anyway. <so. laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was going to just leave it there. Needless to say, there's controversy there, but uh, you know, mm. watch this space. Um, look, the next game was at a core stadium on Friday night. A disappointing eleven thousand watching the Rabbitohs and the Storm. Uh, go head to head. Eighteen ten was the the scoreline there for the Storm over the Rabbitohs. Bit of a surprising result for a few people, but uh, like I said, for for the main Friday night game, bit of a disappointing result in terms of the crowd there. Um, Glen Willow Oval, which I don't know if that's the traditional uh, one at. Uh, do we know where that is? That's not that's not in Manly. I think that might be Central Coast. No, no, um, I think that's Mudgy, Mudgy. Oh, Mudgee, there you go. Well, they actually had 9,000. So, you know, Mudgee, 9,000 is pretty good. <laughs> That's like an 80,000 yeah. at a core stadium. But look, uh, that that was an interesting game. Seagulls and the Knights. Dom Young scored four tries, but it wasn't enough. It was 32 mm. all. So after Golden Point extra time, it was a draw. 32 all, so the first draw of the season. Yeah, uh, and since 2020. Oh, really? Well, there you go. Yeah. It's, uh, the first In the post-COVID, six again era. Post-COVID draw. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Um, the Dragons, out of nowhere, have surprised a lot of pundits, including myself, at Wynn Stadium, uh, their soon-to-be traditional home there in Wollongong, 16,000 fans. They defeated the Dolphins 38-12. to So Wayne Bennett's former team uh, did it against him. Uh, he's having issues with his former teams. Uh, I think the Broncos defeated the Dolphins mm. in the Battle of Brisbane last week. So there you go. So unfortunate for Wayne Bennett. Um, speaking of the Broncos, the main Saturday night game saw the Broncos 46 flogging the Tigers 12 in front of a healthy 27,000 or so fans at Suncorp Stadium. And then Sunday. Sunday saw the super comeback Sunday and super exciting mm. games. The Sharks edged out by the Warriors uh, in front of 10,000 or so at Points Bet Stadium. A massive comeback there. I think it was a 20-point turnaround that they came back and ended up winning. Sean Johnson kicking the penalty goal at the end there to, to seal the deal. And Bulldogs, the Bulldogs, 15-14 to 14 over the Cowboys at course Stadium. Small crowd there, 9,000, the Sunday evening game. Um, 
you know, this was a golden point game and it was Matt Burden who put over the uh, the the field goal with, I think, seconds to spare in uh, golden point overtime there. So, look, that, and then obviously the Titans had the bye, good on them. Uh, get the two points there. <laughs> uh, but look, we're going to talk about this soon, but I, look, some really exciting games. Like I said, the mm. big comeback from the Warriors, the Bulldogs uh, doing doing it in style in uh, Golden Point. So, you know, quite a few close games and then a few floggings, you know, Dragons, yeah. Broncos and Panthers. Uh, you know, or you could almost put the Roosters in that, although not not to the same extent. But uh, you know, a few teams that scored over thirty five points or so, and and won their game. Uh, and then the draw, Manly and Newcastle, the traditional neighbouring, uh, the local derby there. Um, you know, lot, a lot going on this weekend. It was a, a jam packed, drama filled mm. weekend. Tish, what was your highlight? Yeah, well, look, um, I think uh, look. Uh, I think for the first, uh, you know, all the rounds before round five, so the first four rounds, we'll talk about how tight the games were, how close they were, you know, high quality across the pitch. But I think this round five was probably the all sorts round, you know, the mixed bag of volleys, however you want to say it, because we had, um, as we mentioned, the first, you know, the rarity, uh, rarity of all rarities. I mean, it's so rare. I mean, David Attenborough is going to be doing a documentary series on, you know, the rarest of all NRL results, the the draw, right? <laughs> uh, you know, ever since uh, and yeah, as, as I said, it's it's been I think yeah, twenty twenty season was the last season that happened. But then you also had um, you know some remarkable comebacks. Um, I think you know a lot of people are saying that the Warriors comeback is the greatest in their history, um, and then also the Bulldogs sort of surprising everybody as well. Uh, but th- the first thrashings of the of the year really and um firstly Canberra and Parramatta um I'm sorry Canberra and Penrith and then the the Tigers also going down um and yeah very disappointing uh obviously as the Tigers but we'll talk more about that look I think also Canberra um you know who you know they've had they've been a a high-flying team uh they they did make it to the finals last year so they've had relatively uh quite a lot of success over the last couple of years but this year, it's it's not gone well for them, and a lot of people are not predicting them to do that well. So, you know, that's interesting. And, you know, uh, Penrith have, you know, I think Penrith have had a mixed fortunes at the start of the season despite being the premiers and then being able to do it. And, uh, yeah, obviously, um, you know, the salmon and some of the other things happening, it's, you know, and a little bit about what Ivan Cleary's reaction to the whole situation was. You know, it's, it's, it's not really the type of... Um, you know, uh, thing you want to be talking about if you if you're having a premiership season, right? So that's a little interesting. But look, yeah, let's go back to I think I mean to me, uh, look, the Warriors game was definitely uh, like a, that was a great game. I, I loved watching that on on television, right? And um, I, I must admit, like when uh, when it felt like the Sharks were rolling on top, I kind of was got myself a little bit out of it. But then I I just you know there's something about the way the Warriors were playing. You felt like they they just they were going to stay in it somehow, and then they just came back from nowhere, right? Um, but you know, yeah. going back to the Thursday night, look, I, I know you've, um, I know you mentioned that maybe Parramatta didn't, um, you know, it, it was it, the fl- the score might have flattered flattered them. I, I think one of the challenges that I had with like sort of this game was, uh, you know, Parramatta uh, they played 
60 minutes of the game uh, with 12 men because they had think two players sent off. And I think the second send-off was more of a, a, a sort of, well, I sent one player off, I have to send another player off type thing. Like I think if the first player didn't get sent off, I don't know about the second one. So I don't know, but, but I feel like this has been uh, – look, it, same thing is happening to, to the Tigers a little bit, but I feel like um, at, at Parramatta, I think the real difference between this year and last year is that – there seems to be penalties given away by uh, by their players, uh, maybe for overzealousness or or lack of uh, you know sort of technique in tackling, um, but that's really affecting their their games, right? Because I mean, you don't have any fuel to attack if you've if you're just defending all the time, right? So I think they, I think they're just, it's just the you know the 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 silly penalties that they give away, I think is probably what's costing them a lot in these games. But, you know, when you actually watch them play and when they actually have quite uh, – I don't think this is the frustrating part about it, right? You could actually see how good of a team they are when when all things are equal, right? Um, but the problem is their errors are the things that take them out of the game a lot. So, so I think that's probably it. And I think, yeah, look, for everybody else, I mean, all the other results have, have kind of been – I mean, the, yeah, the Rabbitohs is a bit of a shock too, I, I must say. But you know, uh, you know, but it does show that Melbourne. I mean, they've got they've got their wits about them as well. So, yeah, uh, look, a very intriguing round a uh, of rugby league in round five, and um, you know, we're heading into sort of the mid season. Uh, you know, Magic Round, Origin, a few things coming up. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the next few rounds play out. All right. Look, we're going to deep dive into a couple of the things that we've seen uh, lately, and one in particular that's, that that we saw in the last round. Uh, well, let's dive into tackle number two. Here we go. All right. Look, we're going to talk about the, uh, well, Two exciting games that happened on the Sunday in the last round that we just talked about. The tightly fought Bulldogs victory over the Cowboys and the Warriors' amazing comeback against the Sharks. What do these games have in common? Well, both the Warriors and the Bulldogs are coached by former Panthers assistant coaches. In the Bulldogs' case, it's Cameron Serraldo. In the Warriors' case, it's Andrew Webster. So I guess what we wanted to do is talk about these Panthers coaching alumni. What is it about these coaches that, uh, you know, we saw in the space of a single day with fairly unfancied teams? I mean, no one I think is expecting or the Bulldogs and the Warriors to, to do much damage this year. But both of these teams managed to defeat the teams that finished second and third on the NRL ladder last year. Uh, who themselves are struggling this year. So it's a, a very interesting kind of topsy-turvy world uh, at the moment. But look, I thought we'd sort of deep dive a little bit and and just have a bit of a chat about what is it about the Panthers Coaching Academy that, uh, you know, that, that, that has led to these assistant coaches, you know, having this level of success early on? Um, I guess that's one question. But the other question is, what, what is it that, that we saw in these victories that maybe uh, give us a bit of a clue about, uh, you know, how these former Panthers assistant coaches are going to go this year. Tish, do you have any thoughts on, 
you know, what are some of the characteristics you saw in these two victories? Yeah, well, look, um, I, I did watch some of the press conferences, particularly the Warriors coach, Andrew Webster, because, I mean, he's a guy that, um, that, uh, that like, you know, we don't really know that much of, right? I think, you know, the big talk was around Cameron Serraldo, right? And then he's, he's also... Uh, coaching a team that um, doesn't get that much coverage as well, right, in the Warriors. So it's kind of interesting. And, you know, uh, what I just felt is that um seems like he's been able to bring an air of, I'd say, calmness to the Warriors a little bit. Um, they don't seem to be to get all that flustered or frustrated if they get behind on the scoreboard. Um, you know, they sort of, uh, you know, it, it doesn't – they don't show away from their confidence, you know, and then they seem to – I think Sean Johnson's playing really well, and they just seem to be able to, to uh, you know, maybe the word is resilient. Yeah, I think they're more resilient to, to the little things happening, right? And I think that's what Andrew Webster's able to bring and kind of remind you a bit about the Ivan Cleary uh, personality, right? Because he's he's kind of like a calm sort of character most of the time, right? Like you know, I mean, yeah, you know, we talked about Ricky Stewart a little bit. Like if you sort of. Um, compare the two uh, styles right? when they're... Uh, <laughs> they're quite different, yes. Uh, they're quite different, you know. And it looks, and it, but it seems to work at, for the the Penrith or, or it seems to work for, for certain teams, right? Um, and then you've got the, you know, Cameron Serraldo sort of, you know, he seems to be a bit of a calm character too, right? And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I'm, I'm actually now... As soon as I said that, I thought I actually think about okay. Well, let's look at some of the other teams, and I'm and it just just made me remind of, of like the Melbourne Storm, right? They've got the most angry coach out of them all, right? Craig Bellamy, right? So, so, but that seems to work for them, you know. <laughs> so, so it's kind of it's kind of a bit, uh, you know, the calmness versus the uh, you know complete the anger. calm before the storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 seems to work yeah. differently in different teams, but I think. I think what it could be is that, um, you know, the Warriors, they have a, a, you know, I don't know how it's like to be a player over there, but, like, I'm just thinking that they might have, uh, they might, the the players themselves might put way too much pressure on themselves and maybe Andrew Webster's been able to sort of calm the team down because, yeah, for some reason they just don't seem to get uh, upset if a try scored against them and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. you know, I mean... Uh, I this is one of the things <laughs> that I've seen with other teams. They seem to just, yeah, not being able to handle it, right? Um, yeah, so I think that's maybe a little bit about that. Uh, what I did hear about Cameron Serraldo is that he's really good, apparently, at sort of um, playing the playing the whole season, like sort of keeping the energy levels on a you know half a season going every week. Like he puts apparently last year he did this whole uh, Top Gun thing. Um, where he gave them all like Top Gun uh, jackets, and you know he gave them all like you know different call names, like you know like like they have in Top Gun sort of thing, um, and then that's what they were partying with when the Panthers won. So you know apparently he's kind of renowned for doing these type of uh, little things to try and uh, break up the you know um, you know play on play on Friday and play on Friday uh, next day's recovery next day's recovery. Then Monday, it's the video day. Tuesday, it's like train hard. Wednesday, it's like, you know, tactics and strategies, you know, and then Thursday, you play. Like, I think he's breaking that whole routine down, you know, with like he's kind of, you know, hey, we're doing a series on Top Gun now, or, you know. So, 
you know, maybe he's got like, you know, some sort of Ant-Man theme for the Bulldogs this year. I'm not sure. Right? <laughs> um, well, I yeah. was going to say he, sorry, go ahead. Finish yeah, up. No, 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 that's what I've heard. So, 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 uh, but maybe that's what it is. But, but what, what about yourself, Dr. T, as a outsider looking in to these two teams, why do you think they've been on the improve? Well, I mean, in the Bulldogs case, I was just going to say, if that's if Cameron Sorrell has been doing that, I think maybe the theme for this week was Back to the Future because, <laughs> because Josh Reynolds, uh, you know, didn't play that many minutes, but his, his kind of inspirational approach, you know, he's one of the most, I think it's fair to say he's one of the most passionate kind of players, really is passionate about, playing for the Bulldogs, has been for quite some time, you know, and and he's he's got that reputation of being, you know, the fire in, in the belly kind of thing for, for his teams. I mean, it, let's not forget his success at State of Origin level during that decade of dominance by Queensland. Mm. The only victory they had in, I think it was 2014, uh, within that decade was uh, the year that, uh, that Josh Reynolds was at 5'8". You know, not widely considered one of the best five eights in a competition, even at that time. But his tenacity, his level of kind of, you know, he's a stat of origin type player. You know, passionate, gets in there. You know, is uh, loves playing rugby league. You know, that's he's uh, he's certainly not one of these modern athletes where they follow a certain mold, and uh, you know. He's, he just seems like he's got that kind of old-school passion going. And uh, I think yeah. that was really needed. So I think that's part of it, um, that maybe what happened this weekend is, uh, you know, you just need someone like that to spark what's probably already there anyway. I mean, you've got players like Matt Burden and others who who are capable of, uh, and, you know, Josh Adokar are capable of being that emotional kind of player. Um, and uh, so that's really interesting when you pair that up against Seraldo's kind of more stoic approach and, and as you said, like uh, unconventional methods of, of getting his team interested and engaged during the year. It remains to be seen whether that kind of modern way of um, managing a football team is going to last very long or, or a player's going to get sick of it and think this is just a gimmick. Um, mm. You know that kind of thing. I didn't. I wasn't aware that he was doing things like that. But that's very interesting. So it remains to be seen uh, what happens there. But look, Andrew Webster, different situation there at, at the Warriors. We've got Ducky um, is also very stoic kind of a uh, you know Ivan Cleary esque coach. I think you know you're not going to see him kicking doors down if they lose. But what we did see though is uh, you know on the back to the future theme that I just mentioned is a resurgence of, of sorts, a renaissance, shall we say, which puts him in line for the Renaissance Award at the end of the year in the Rugby League Republic. Um, Sean Johnson, you mm. know, a new lease of life. I mean, all of a sudden he, uh, you know, attention's on him again. And, I, and, and whereas we kind of thought he was kind of, uh, you know, not really doing much and not really making an impact, well, it sounds like, Andrew's finding a way to get him to make an impact. And certainly that victory against the Sharks, uh, you know, where the pressure was on him and he, he delivered, um, 
it's a new Sean Johnson, I feel. So I wonder whether, you know, the Bulldogs needs to be renewed, bringing back the old players like yeah. Josh Reynolds and, and people who are passionate the old school way, giving the team a personality. I think mm. that's probably mean, been the difference here. Um, the Warriors have never really had a personality, as yeah. far as I recall. I mean, the, I can barely. I think back back when Stacey Jones was there, there was mm. probably that that success, and they almost won a premiership and that kind of thing. But but lately, nothing's been doing over there. So, I, I mean, you know, let's keep a watchful eye on Andrew Webster, see what he can do with Sean Johnson and the others, because they've certainly got a lot of talent. They mm. just need to bring it together in a coherent way. So, uh, yeah, I'll let you have the final word. Yeah. Well, I think uh, on the Bulldogs as well, I th- look, I mean, they've done multiculture around, uh, you know, for the last few years. So that's not new. But I think what was new this year is how early in the season they did it. I think it was round two or round three that they did the that round. So get it in early. Get that whole Belmore atmosphere, spirit going. Um, you know, so you, you, you play an early round of Belmore and then all of a sudden that team, because I feel, and I think that's more of a field goal thing, but I think there is a bit of a, uh, let's get back to the Bulldogs of yesteryear type approach, Yeah, which yeah. I think is probably the theme, you know, so as you said, back to the future does make sense. And yeah, Josh Reynolds, you know, they called him grub. Uh, I think that's his game, right. And, um, you know, he's a passionate player, right? He's a, he's a unique sort of player and, uh, you know, he, he, he had a few seasons at the Tigers that didn't go so well. Um, did try to kick a few players' heads in, <laughs> uh, if you remember. But but uh, but I think I think uh, Josh Reynolds is kind of back where he belongs type thing because I think he never you, – you could always – it was hard to see him play for any other team, right? Like, um, so so I, th- I, th- I think they're doing a lot of things right um, by their fans and by – the club um so so yeah exciting to see these two teams as well as the dolphins performing so well early on this season and it's really mixed up the the and brisbane as well right and then so the ladder looks completely different to the top eight last year right so um in fact i don't think any of the top top uh four are in the four at the moment um so yeah and the bulldogs are in the eighth and and titans are ninth so how does that work so um <laughs> so it's all topsy turvy mate it's all topsy turvy at the moment so so and that makes this uh you know season a really good season you know so um because it's it is a bit difficult to figure out who's going to win on a week-to-week basis absolutely all right, well, let's move on to uh, another deep dive into another team that's not doing so well this time. It's the Tigers post-mortem. Here we go, tackle number three. All right, so look, Tish, forgive me, and forgive me, or all, all Tigers fans, please forgive me. I called this the post-mortem, which implies they're already dead in the water. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they are, uh, but I do know that uh, there's uh, there's a lot of soul-searching that needs to happen with the West Tigers. This year, they just seem to not be making any impact at all. Um, they're quite disappointing. I don't see a way out, and we, we you know, this is on the back of a, you know, knowing that we've got a future plan for a new coach coming in next year, new coaching team, you know, uh, Benji Marshall, Robbie Farah and and others as well. 
at the moment, they're assistant to Tim Sheens, who doesn't seem to be catching a trick at the moment. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So, look, I'll, I'll pass over to you, Tish, as the resident Tigers fan, West Tigers fan, to, uh, you know, explain what you think is the cause of this. And then what I thought I'd do is I'll, I'll see if I can find some stats that will that might give us some insight into what's going wrong with the Tigers. But I'll leave it with you, Tish, to talk us through it. What are your feelings? Well, look, um, I think, Dr. T, I think the feelings um, for uh, Tigers fans out there has been like, it's been quite upsetting. Um, and, and it's getting to the point now, I mean, really, uh, because like ever since uh, Michael Maguire had been let go, I don't think that we've won any games. Um, you know, there was, I don't think there was any games under the Kamali regime that we won towards the end of the season. And I don't think there were any games, uh, and there hasn't been any wins so far, right? The only thing that we could probably look at is a preseason win against the Raiders, uh, who themselves are not doing that well. But um, uh, but but I think the Tigers have got bigger problems than the Raiders at the moment. And that, look, the key thing is that they don't seem to be anywhere close to any of the other teams. They seem to be so ill-prepared uh, for the season. So what do you break that down into? And I think the main – look, I, I would say that a lot of it is, uh, you know, they're talking about this great attack. But, uh, you know, a great attack, even if you have the world's best attack, unless you've got a defense, you're not going to win the game, right? So that's – that. They're, they're just so, – so that is – like it, it, it hurts when they say about this brand-new attack and it's going to be great. And it's and, and 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 that's the wrong focus because the focus should be on winning games, right? You know that's that's the where the focus should be, not on how it's it should be like you know substance over style a little bit, right? But uh, it feels like they've just emphasised too much on style. Now the other problem is that their attack is hopeless anyway, right? Um, there are like so many forward passes, so many drop balls, right? They just like they they they're not. I mean, I'm sorry to say they're not uh, they're not skillful enough, or they don't know each other's games enough to be able to, you know, orchestrate this game plan that they have. It's so slow, it's so predictable. Nothing looks like a threat, and like you know, the thing is, like plays get in the way of each other all the time. And you watch some of the other teams play, right? And and you're like, um, uh, like like you know, all the other players are sort of getting in position for the next round. Man, Tigers players are just standing there for the next play. There is no like off the ball movement to try and get yourself in a position, and and like you know, like people are like oh Alex Twelve, he's come close. I mean, the guy is never going to score a try when he is facing upright, going a meter in, like duck down and try and put the ball down. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like that's where it's got got out there. Like, I mean, you got to know the basics. They've got to have like some sort of like you know. Um, just like practicing how to score a try, right? <laughs> like practicing putting the ball down, like it's just that. So, look, it is it is all of a mess, and uh, you know, some of my uh, yeah, some of my ranting has come out. But look, I think, I think, I think, look for for this week and the next week, or whatever. Don't expect to win any games. Uh, like you know, um, you know, it's it's like uh, look, Parramatta. I mean, I know they're struggling, but they've played way better than 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 uh than uh Penrith. Uh, so then the Tigers. So don't don't go in there trying to win. Go in there and just try and not drop the ball for eighty minutes, and I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? Like 
Like, just get back to super basics. Um, you're not going to beat uh, the Eels this week. You're not going to beat uh, the Sea Eagles. You're not going to beat the Panthers. You're not going to beat the Dragons, right? You're going to need a month of just playing boring football and not doing silly, stupid things, right? Like, like just making the wrong decision all the time. And, yeah, look, and I think they seriously need to – Okay, so look, I you know Luke Brooks, you know it's the Luke Brooks thing, and I know like you know people like want to come to his rescue and all that kind of stuff. Look, I think the thing is, it's like it's not, it's not actually him. It's it's the way the club has sort of, uh, like I think it's the mentality of the reason why they stick with him, right? And the reason why they stick with him is because they because they feel like, you know, well he's he's a great player and we haven't got the best out of him. And you know what? That's probably the truth. And I think what will happen is that they'll let him go, they'll let Luke Brooks go, and he'll go to another club, and straight away he will get them to the finals. <laughs> right. I think I think I think Luke Brooks got the talent within him, right? But I just don't think it works for him at the Tigers. And I think it's the way the Tigers have managed him and managed the team around him. And I think the Tigers just need a cup bait and just go, and you know what? The Tigers will get somebody in who's probably half as talented as Luke Brooks. Who have who has half the kicking game as Luke Brooks, but just because the Tiger system probably doesn't fit Luke Brooks, and I think that's been the big problem the whole time, right? Because um, there is no other player uh, in the Tigers that actually talks to anybody. Like you watch them play, uh, there is no there is no Cameron Monster in the team that sort of yip yaps all all the time. You know, um, you see that with uh, Nathan Cleary doing it for the Panthers. Every team has got to have one person who is just getting players into the right position at every play. Um, and they don't have an on-field general or on-field coach. And, yeah, that's that's why they're directionless because they don't have anybody to give them direction on the field. They had a player, J- J- Jackson Hastings, but, um, you know, uh, like even without Ponga, um, you know, they haven't been playing that bad because they've got a general, right? And that's kind of why they wanted him. So, yeah, so if if they couldn't recognize that, then I do question a little bit about the coaching and the management. If they didn't see, well, you know what, like Jackson Hastings is actually far more valuable for us because without him, we've got no general. Uh, then then I think that's where it is. So look, uh, Doctor T, look, you know, I've got the blinders on. I've got the West Tigers <laughs> eyes or whatever. So you know, sometimes when you're in the mess, you can't actually see the problem. You know, you need that third person perspective. Uh, as a Parramatta Eels supporter, what do, what do you think is wrong with the Tigers? Uh, Brad Arthur. Uh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm just I'm channeling uh, my own anger. Look, I don't know what's wrong. I think a lot of what you said uh, resonates with me. I, I do agree with a lot of that. But I thought, look, in answer to your question, I think the best way that I can assist is to look at some of the stats because I think the stats can tell a bit of an interesting story. So I thought what I'd do is, uh, you know, look at the stats, that uh, the team stats, see where the Tigers sit. Does that tell us a story? Does that help us to explain what's going on and and, and see if that can help you? Because I think, look, no, none of these problems are insurmountable. I think there are, you know, even for clubs and teams that are a shambles off the field uh you can still get you know the right kinds of ingredients put together to put it together on the field and then and then surprise surprise you know clubs with a winning mentality and winning record sometimes the back office uh benefits and 
the bottom line benefit. So you can always mask and cover up some of those issues if you do well on the football field. Unfortunately, the Tigers aren't doing well either way, so it's not really helping. But let, let me look into the stats first. Um, so I'm going to look at some of the stats on NRL.com, the official stats, and and you can see straight up that in terms of the negative play, uh, there are four categories, and uh, the Tigers top uh, two of them, <laughs> basically. Um, errors, they're at 67 four ahead of their nearest rival, the Rabbitohs, at 62. And handling errors specifically, they're at 65, whereas the Rabbitohs are at 54. So I think I think what that's telling me is straight away, we've got a problem with, uh, with, with the way the Tigers handle the ball, ball control maybe. I think maybe that's part of the issue. Let's dive a little bit deeper. If we look at um, uh, some of the other stats, now, defense, uh, surprisingly, they're not in the top five of missed tackles, um, you know, which is interesting. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, I'm trying to see, if, no, there's no other major defense ones. Passing, now here's an interesting one. They are top of the league by a fair margin, margin on offloads. So Tigers are at 73 offloads and the next nearest is the Eels at 65. So that's almost, you know, that's eight away. Um, And which is quite interesting. Um, If you look at all receipts in terms of passing, uh, so this gives you a bit of a stat on number of passing. They're coming fifth um, with 2,097 passes received. So look, what that tells me (laughs) is... They've the way that they play the game, the style that they play is is uh, you know highly risky in terms of numbers of off offloads. It seems like they they throw the ball around more than other teams. Uh, it does seem like it catches most of the time, but it also leads to lots of handling errors. So I think right there we've got a bit of a picture of what's going on with the Tigers. Um, that that maybe maybe we can consider moving on to running. So the interesting stat there, two interesting stats. They are third in the league on all all runs, so number of runs, so 940 runs they've had, and fifth in the league on dummy half runs with 58. Um, a fair way away from the top one, which is Cowboys, but. I think Cowboys have, have the most uh, dummy half runs by 20 over the next nearest. Interesting. So there's a lot of dummy half running, a lot of offloads, and a lot of uh, receipts of offloads, but also that leads to handling errors. So that's very interesting there. If I then move on to a, another few um, metrics in terms of attack, the key one that they come up with that they top the league is on decoy runs. <laughs> 272 versus Warriors 263. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, I'm trying to paint a picture here, Tish, of if they've got if they top the league in decoy runs, there seems to be a lot of um you know, a, well, it seems that the attack you know, they're trying hard. They're trying hard in attack. They're trying to pass the ball around. They they're trying to maybe do a bit of razzle dazzle. Is that what I'm – that's kind of what the picture is telling me. I'm not sure if that's true. Um, 
but yeah, moving on to other stats, interesting ones as well. So we've got uh, in possession, the category of possession, we've got two stats that the Tigers feature in the top five. So one is supports. So we've got 245. They're coming fourth in this one. Broncos, Dolphins, and Eels ahead of them. Um, and not by much, mind you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Tigers are really up there in terms of number of supports that, that they, uh, that in terms of possession there. Line engaged. So how many times that they, uh, they get up there and, and engage the line. They're pretty close to the top. So there's three teams that are close to the top. Rabbitohs, Sharks, and Tigers, and there are only three from from that. So they could have easily could easily be the league leaders in line engaged. So again, this is telling me very much a an attack oriented story uh, in terms of uh, the Tigers. If I'm looking at uh, you know uh, what else am I looking at? Well, there's that that's it in terms of the ones where they're in the top five. So look, if I just pause there, and the only other stat I'll look at is the ladder. And I look at, uh, you know, they've they've got zero wins, five mm-hmm. losses. They've got a four and against of, uh, well, 132 against. The only team worse than that is uh, the Raiders at 136. Not by much. Attacking-wise, four, points four, 68. Which is the um, worst, right? Which is the worst. <laughs> By quite quite a fair way. Yeah, so they're trying uh, really hard story. in attack and they can't score, right? They yeah, that's right. And and oddly enough, do you know who's the second worst? Just off the top of your head, without looking, don't cheat. Who's mm-hmm. the second worst in uh, points scored for? Um, okay, a team that doesn't that focuses more on defense. Some team, well, the Panthers scored a big one. Um, maybe Cowboys because they were pretty defense oriented last year. Uh, close, close. They, uh, yeah, the Cowboys numbers are pretty tight. Like their four and against is quite tight, negative 14. No, actually the Rabbitohs. Rabbitohs have scored 78 points, whereas Tigers have scored 68. So you look, the Rabbitohs are close enough to, to warrant their own kind of, uh, panic stations there. But if we're just focusing on the Tigers, I mean, I think, as I said, the, the key thing that we're seeing is, there's a lot of movement in, uh, you know, in attack. There's a lot of, uh, you know, handling errors as a result. But I think the key thing as well is it's not they're not able to convert the the attacking movements to uh, to points, quite frankly. So, so I think I think right there, then the question becomes: Well, why is that, and what can be done about that? And really, it boils down to I think the uh, uh, the, I guess the the cattle that they've got in uh, in uh, in shepherding the team around, um, you know who who's the leader in in who's the little general? Uh, are we relying? So you've got Adam Dewey, uh, who's the five eighth, uh, and you've got Luke Brooks, the halfback, and you've got Apisai Corasau who clearly that's why they've got lots of dummy half running is that a lot of a lot of their attack is based on Coruscant. I'm without without pinpointing him, I'm guessing that a lot of the errors are probably coming from Coruscant as well. I've seen a lot of errant passes and 
you know, misreading of play, etc., leading to some drop ball. Um, and look, those are the key players I think that are in the the spine, so to speak, that you would rely on to uh, you know to to get that conversion of field position to points. And that, look, we're not looking at field position. Uh, they didn't seem to feature in the other stats categories around number of meters gained, etc. So I'm guessing what we're seeing is a team that wants to attack that tends to think uh, they need to pass and do lots of dummy and decoy runnings and things like that. So they, they're trying to use methods and techniques that I think they feel maybe they they should, but what is missing is conversion to points. So I think I think a lot of that rests with the spine, to be quite quite honest. So yeah. I think, you know, if we were to advise Benji of what needs to be done, it really is to look at that spine and see if you need to inject someone in there that can actually control things and calm things down and also gives you other options beside Apisai Coruscant in the middle and a bunch of razzle-dazzle kind of throwing the ball around uh, to no no effect. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Benji, I guess from my perspective, the stats are telling me a very clear story here. Um, you know, they had Jackson Hastings, they let him go, but he, I don't think, despite the fact he is a halfback um, or 5'8", or wasn't the answer very clearly. And so I think... Uh, that's the lesson here for the Tigers is if you want an answer, look to someone in the spine and uh, maybe they need to sort of, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing rugby union rating rugby league. Maybe we just need to look at, are there any good halfbacks in rugby union that we could uh, draw on? I think that's what we need to look at. What do you think, well, Tish? Final well, word. I, I think, I think uh, Wakem at halfback is actually the answer. Cause I, I mm. have, I, I feel like he is a talker now. They've, uh, they've, Put him to the bench, and they've moved Adam Dewey back into five eighth. Okay, so, um, so yeah, they've We're got clearly back. not listening to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they've got so they've, they've they've done the whole thing. But look, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like you know, I was I just the decoy thing caught me a little bit off card because I think before you attempt a decoy, you should you should understand what the purpose of a decoy is, and so not just in rugby league, but in in reality, right? A decoy is you know is a distraction. To the defense, right? But if you do too many of them, right? <laughs> like, like it defeats the purpose. You right? become predictable, like, right? You become Maybe predictable. they're too predictable. Maybe that's a problem. They, they are too predictable, and and um, you know, too much passing. I mean, like, yeah, as you said, the high risk thing is 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 correct because if you're number one on the teams for passing, but also the number one team for handling errors, right? It does show that you are giving way too much. Um, you know, way too much uh, sort of uh, competition, uh, or sort of way too much uh, uh, possession to to the other team. And yeah. you know, uh, look, I, I I think with the, I mean, it's like like with with uh, we, I think you just got to know what your like where you are at, where the Tigers are at, is that they came last last year, so they are not going to be as good as some of the teams ahead of them, right? So what you've got to do is you've got to try to take as much time out of the game as possible because the less time there is in the game, the the less defense you have to do, right? And the less <laughs> defense you have to do, the more attack you you the, the more your attack can shine. So and that's they're trying to play an up tempo game as if they are like 
the Harlem Globetrotters or something, you know? Mm, um, and yeah. that's that's not the Harlem Globetrotters is a is a is a, is like a, is like an act. It's a show. It's not real. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, you gotta like, uh, yeah. I, th- I think I think there's a difference between pl- trying to play flashy and trying to win. And I think and I think the win is what the fans want, right? We don't like you know we've been entertained too much already. What Netflix we can watch, you know, if we want to see entertainment, <laughs> like you sure. know. And I, and I think that's where the focus has got to be on that. So um, yeah, take time out of the game. I think that that's what I think that's what the main key is. Um, they're they're trying to pay, play too fancy without. Uh, having that on the board and yeah like um i think the way i think yeah it, line engagement is high but if you notice a lot of these uh you know a lot of time when they engage the line um you know you got to take the tackle right um if you're passing it when you're already in the line that's that's what causes intercepts there was an intercept that happened right uh that game and then also if the intercept doesn't occur then the ball goes behind your player or the ball um uh, you know or or it goes too quickly in front of him and you know and the play is out of position so i think i think just that part of it is is just not working for them so yeah so so i wouldn't be worried about that i i think i think the main thing that they've got to work on is just being able to you know uh you know this and these aren't the stats they talk about but but it's like this right the um rugby league is a is a continuous game right so um how you attack uh, you know, affects the way you defend and how you defend affects the way you attack. So uh, because it just keeps going and going. So the, I think the key thing to look at is that how many times have we kicked the ball into their 10-meter zone and how many times have we been mm-hmm. able to uh, – how many times on tackle three they're still, uh, you know, 30 meters out? How many times do they kick the ball out from their own half? That's where your defense has got to work, right, because you've got to try to get most of the 40 sets – of your opposition uh, from them kicking outside of their own field. Then on your part, you've got to try and get as many uh, sets of six in their half. And once you've done that, then you've given yourself a chance to actually get your defense in order, but you don't do that. I think Brad Arthur's got a rule for the Parramatta Eels, right? Was Isn't it like, you know, like you just got to make sure your first 10 sets of the game, you don't drop the ball or have any errors. I think that's a good rule. <laughs> <laughs> like I think the Tigers are going to implement something like that. So, um, yeah. But look, uh, yeah. Look, I, I, I'm too passionate about this, uh, Doctor T. Uh, but yeah. But 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 I'm going to say, like, I think my love of rugby league is is waning a little bit with just how frustrated the Tigers are, are making me at the moment. So yeah. So I've got to, uh, yeah, yeah. How, how's GWS going? I wonder. Um, <laughs> That's my answer. Look, look I, I'll finish this by saying. Our advice to Benji Marshall is come out of retirement. We need you. <laughs> Get back in there. We need some unpredictability. We need a bit of Benji. Mm. That's what we need. We need Benji. There needs to be a, a, a call out there uh, like Cattle Dog was to New South Wales. There needs to be a, a call out there to say, Benji, do a Benji. And then that, that's a, a, a sign, a signal for the spine to just wake up. Maybe we need to hypnotize Luke Brooks. And mm. anytime he hears the word Benji, Yelled out there, he just clicks into gear and starts uh, running to the line and doing all sorts of damage. Uh, maybe that's the thing. Anyway, let's leave it there. Let's move on to tackle number four, the Joseph Swally debate.
right. So as we've heard recently, Joseph Swalee is being signed by Rugby Union, the Wallabies. He will be joining them, I think, next year, from next year, which begs the question, what's going to happen with him this year? There's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people have been saying, okay, good on him, you know. Uh, a lot of people have been upset that they thought they were developing him at the Roosters and it's a bit of a kick in the face to see him, uh, you know, take the money on offer and go to switch codes. Um, and I guess the, the question is is coming very, very clearly from the media. If it is the case that, uh, that you know, people are upset about him joining Rugby Union, well, why not just tear up his contract immediately, sack him, move on, spend your money on others or whatever, um, you know, focus on the, the future of your team rather than uh, propping up someone who's going to be leaving anyway. It's an interesting debate, but that's the question. Are we uh, are we going to tear his, up, his contract up immediately? Is that what we're recommending? What do you think, Tish? Um, look, not sure. Um, I feel like it's a it's a high risk for Rugby Union Australia to have him keep playing for the Roosters week in week out, right? Um, <laughs> like even even training every week, um, you know, because like even like plays get injured during, uh, you know, d- during that part of it as well. So um, I think yeah, so so it is a bit of an interesting one one because he's he's signed for next year. Um, so yeah, and look, if I'm if I'm the Roosters, I, I would be having one eye into next season and thinking, okay, Joseph's taking up a spot. Um, you know, we need to figure out, you know, who's going to play that position. We've got plenty of players that will be here next year that aren't getting that rub. Um, you know, I think I've seen a couple of Roosters outside backs who are playing for other clubs now as well. Um, you know, I, I think I saw one playing for the Sharks. It's just you know, you sort of, you know, you sort of seen the Marissa's colors before and stuff like that. So, so I think they do need to do that because look, Swahalili, I think he, you know, I kind of see him playing rugby union for a few seasons and coming back as well, by the way. So I don't think he's completely lost to the game, but yeah, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you look at, look at that as an option and uh, try and get some sort of salary cap exemption from the NRL and perhaps even get rugby union pay out his existing contract, something like that. And then, um, yeah, uh, I, I think the Roosters need to look at that because I don't under I don't actually see the rationale of keeping him uh, playing for this season. But that's that's my side of the fence that I've decided to stick in. What about your side, Doctor T? Uh, yeah, look, I think also I think uh, definitely there is you know merit to to both arguments. I think, and that's why I think it's an interesting. Debate, not the first time we've heard it before, but I think um, I think the idea of, uh, you know, he's potentially as much value as he provides, he's potentially kind of, um, you know, stopping someone from being developed further at the Roosters, um, you know. So there's, a, there's that balance that needs to be struck between, you know, you're holding on to a player that knows you know they're going to leave and and you're stopping, you know, so you, you need them because they're such high quality uh, to win matches. But at the same time, uh, do you have the luxury of bringing in someone to blood them in that position, um, having let them go? Look, another way to look at it is this. you What's the difference between someone that you know is going to retire at the end of the year 
and someone who's about to leave uh, for either a, a new club or, in this case, a new sport altogether at the end of the year. Um, is there a difference? Because a lot of the calls for, you know, sack him immediately. Would you be doing that if he's announcing his retirement? Mm. Um, same sort of argument, right? Like, I mean, he's potentially stopping you from blooding a young player and developing him throughout the course of the year. You know, is it a wasted space in the lineup since he's not going to be there in the future? All these arguments we've heard before. But like I said, you could argue the same thing for someone who you know is going to retire. You know, you're just, you're just, they're just passengers. You're just carrying them, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. Another way to look at it, though, is if he provides value, um, you know, he's not just at retirement where he's towards the end. He's in his prime or before his prime, and he's already made it to a World Cup final. He's played very well at the World Cup, all sorts of things, and he's uh, he's killing it at the moment at the Roosters. He had an amazing uh, no-look kind of reverse flick pass to his outside winger, on the weekend uh, for a really great try. And, and look, he's going to do that, you know, if given an opportunity quite a bit in rugby. union. so are we missing him? Are we, should we value him? So I guess that's a question here. Look, I think I'm, I'm leaning on the side of, you know, I don't think you should tear up contracts for this reason. I think it's kind of spiteful and petty to do that. Um, you know, he, even if you think he's done you wrong, uh, because he's gone off and, and gone somewhere else instead of promising to stay or, you know, lack of loyalty, whatever you want to throw at him. Um, I still think in that case, if you're a professional outfit, you want your best team on the field no matter what. And, yes, you do want to keep an eye to the future, but you also don't want to be spiteful and just tear, tear up contracts just because you don't like what what that player has done and what he's chosen for his future. So it, like I said, it does this debate, this uh, argument about tearing up his contract. I think is premature, and I think it's kind of immature as well. Uh, that's my final word on it. Tish, do you want to have a final word? No, at all. Yeah, no, no final words. But um, yeah, look, uh, all the best for. Uh... For Joseph Swahalili, um, and uh, let's hope that before he leaves, we can get his name right. <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> no, that's all right. All right. Well, let's move on to tackle number five. Ask Chad. Well, all this talk about Swally and the rugby union converts in general um, has uh, begged the question, and we thought we'd ask Chad GPT to to answer this for us. Who are the best players to ever convert from rugby union to rugby league? What say you, Chad? There have been many talented players who have made the transition from rugby union to rugby league over the years. Here are some of the best. Jason Robinson, widely regarded as one of the greatest rugby league players of all time, Robinson started his career in rugby union before switching codes in 2000. He played for the Sale Sharks and Wigan Warriors, winning numerous trophies including the Super League, Challenge Cup, and World Club Challenge. Sonny Bill Williams, a New Zealand international in both codes, 
Williams won two Rugby World Cups with the All Blacks before switching to Rugby League in 2008. He played for several clubs including the Canterbury Bulldogs, Sydney Roosters, and Toronto Wolfpack, winning the NRL Premiership and Super League during his career. Lo Takiri Takiri played for the Wallabies in Rugby Union before switching to Rugby League in 2002. He played for the Brisbane Broncos, West Tigers, and South Sydney Rabbitohs, winning the NRL Premiership with the Broncos in 2006. Brad Thorne Thorne is a former All-Blacks lock who switched to Rugby League in 2001. He played for the Brisbane Broncos and won the NRL Premiership in 2006 before returning to Rugby Union and winning the Rugby World Cup with the All Blacks in 2011. Wendell Saylor Saylor played for the Wallabies in Rugby Union before switching to Rugby League in 1995. He played for several clubs including the Brisbane Broncos, St. George Illawarra Dragons, and the Queensland Maroons, winning the NRL Premiership and State of Origin during his career. These players are just a few examples of the many talented rugby union players who have successfully transitioned to rugby league. All right. Well, Chad, you've definitely raised some interesting names there. And Tish, look, uh, you know, he's gone for, you know, Jason Robertson, obviously probably one of the most famous English converts. Sonny Bill Williams, I think, again, the one of the most famous New Zealand converts, along with uh, Brad Thorne. And then from the Queensland perspective, Lottie Takiri and Wendell Saylor. Um, you know, in the NRL era, definitely, you know, how many is that? The top five. I don't know if they're the top five, but five of the best examples of uh, rugby union uh, converts, that is those who came from rugby union to rugby league and or vice versa. Uh, Tish, what do you think about that list as Chad? Chad seems to be on the money, don't you think? Yes and no, because I think uh, what I think Chad's done here is he's chosen players that kind of switched between both, right? Because mm. I kind of feel like Jason Robinson started in rugby league first, then went to Union. Like I don't feel like that was uh, – so I think that was kind of switched up. And Sonny Buell sort of started in league, went to Union, came back to league. Uh, you could say the same thing for Lottie Takiri. I think even Brad Thorne, Wendell Sailor, right? So he's gone for like, you know, the best rugby union converts mm. are those guys who started off in league, converted, and then converted again. Um, uh, but then like, you know, so I think other people say, yeah, just a little bit of a history, Jade. If you go back before, before Microsoft, mate, uh, you'll get a player like Ricky Stewart, right? Who mm. didn't he initially start off in rugby union and, did, uh, yeah. and and then go off to 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 play now in rugby league, um, so I can think of a player like that, and I'm and and I'm not too sure of uh, a few others. Uh, one thing that I didn't also notice about this is that um, we had an Englishman, um, we had a Kiwi, and I think the rest of them played for uh, for Queensland, right? So interestingly, like you know, and then other than Ricky Stewart, I'm trying to think of other players that sort of. Um, played for New South Wales, then well, sort of came to Rugby League after playing Rugby Union and then went on to play State of Origin for New South Wales. I actually can't think of that many um, that, are, that are like that. So um, so that's kind of interesting too about how maybe it's a bit more, maybe it's more taboo in New South Wales 
to go to rugby union um, or or to come to rugby league than what it is in say Queensland or New Zealand or England, it's, where it seems to be more of the norm. Um, whereas mm. maybe it's us, the Sydney rugby league fans, that <laughs> you know are quite <laughs> insular in our in our opinion of converts. But um, your thoughts, there, Doctor D? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look. You might be right there. Um, I I don't know whether um, things have changed over time either, because I think I get the feeling that there was definitely, you know, back in the what I call the golden era of the '90s and and, in, and before that, there was definitely. Uh, I think there was a, this recognition that the players tended to come to this side of the of mm. the fence uh, rather than uh, vice versa, and I think that changed a little bit with uh, you know the. Uh, Super League era sort of led to some changes and players switching back and forth. Um, you do have an example. I think the key example there is Brad Thorne. He not only switched um, between <laughs> codes, but he also switched countries multiple times, Australia yeah. and New Zealand. So that was very interesting uh, as well. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, I think there is definitely a perception issue here. And I think, uh, look, the fact that we haven't seen lately many players that all leave rugby league uh to go across if anything we've seen more more uh higher profile names go across to like nfl and and you know codes that you wouldn't have expected as mm. opposed to uh the obvious one which is rugby union so look i wonder whether this uh this space is not really evolving as much as people might want to make it look like mm. uh i think most players know that uh, you know, there there is still some benefit in rugby league, some value in in getting that kind of international exposure. Um, I wonder whether you know, with Joseph's case, I, maybe it's a situation where you know he did make a World Cup final. Um, maybe he's thinking, you know, he's going to be joining an organisation with Eddie Jones at the helm there, yeah. uh, the, the Wallabies. That is is a possibility of doing the same thing, of making a, a rugby World Cup final. And that would be, uh, you know, that definitely is, I don't think is an is a guarantee at the moment. Uh, so there's probably is a lot to happen before that happens. But, yeah, look, my yeah. final view is, uh, you know, it's, uh, there, it's a good list. Chad has come up with some good good names mm. there that of examples of where they've definitely made an impact on both sides, I yeah. think. Um, so that's been fascinating. Yep. Well, the, the the challenge for Rugby Australia, and I'm not 100% sure on how accurate this is, but I have heard this, that in the under-19s of rugby, um, Australia, like the Wallabies, do well against sort of the All Blacks and, the you know, the, the Springboks and some of the other rugby union nations that are actually quite high up. Um, but then when it gets to the senior level, um, you know, we have only like a handful of, uh, you know, sort of super rugby teams. We don't have that many, um, you know, our competitions aren't that strong enough to develop the players all the way up until, and there's no money there as well, uh, to get them to playing world-class rugby, right? So these players that do play rugby union when they're growing up end up switching to league because there is no infrastructure. Whereas rugby league, we do a great job with taking t uh, kids that are sort of 17, 18, 19 and getting them into the NRL. 
Um, so that's probably why a lot of these players, um, all these uh, converts that are going back and forth, they've probably played both games growing up, um, and then and then for them, it you know it's just natural. But um, yeah, but uh, but I, and I think Eddie Jones realizes that, and that's you know that that's his that's his tactic. Um, but I don't think it's going to affect the NRL uh, because I've seen this a lot. Like, you know, you have like great players retiring, and you think, oh, who's going to replace them? And um, and and we find new superstars all the time, right? So I think I think I think uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. Uh, but a great list of players, I've got to say, like these are all quite enjoyable players to watch. And uh, yeah, thank you, Chad. Thanks, Chad. And uh, our final tackle coming right up. Here we go. Tish, you uh, did very well in round five, Tipping. You got six out of the eight. And let's not forget, you tipped both upsets on the Sunday, the Warriors and Bulldogs upsets that we spoke about. So well done to you. Uh, You are now on a total of 26. And I, with four last week, got a, 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 have a current total of 20. So you're six streaking out again, six ahead of me after only a few rounds. So I've got to catch up, absolutely. So let's launch into the round six preview, Easter round and the tips. The Storm and the Roosters will take on each other at Thursday night's game at Amy Park. I'm tipping the Roosters to win this one. I'm tipping the Storm. Good Friday is the traditional bulldogs Rabbitohs game uh, at 4 p.m. on Friday at Accor Stadium. Uh, I'm tipping the Rabbitohs. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip an upset. I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. Well, you're on the Bulldogs train at the moment. Cowboys and Dolphins, uh, you know, up there at Queensland Country Bank Stadium, uh, Friday 8 p.m. game. I'm tipping the Dolphins to win this one. A bit of an upset, but I think uh, Wayne Bennett is not up against his former team, so he'll be right. Yeah. Look, I'm going to tip the Cowboys. Um, Yeah, I think they need this win, and I think they're going to be really hungry for it. Panthers and Manly, I think this is going to be, uh, look, given what I saw from Manly, I think the Panthers will towel them up. So uh, a Saturday night game, Panthers for mine. Yeah, I'm tipping the Panthers as well. Uh, Broncos versus Raiders. So there was a there was a time in the nineties when the Broncos and the Raiders were the the absolute dream, uh, you know, the dream combination for a grand final. Uh, the two best teams of that era. It wasn't to be. They never actually met an, in a grand final. But uh, at the moment, the Broncos are riding high, and the Raiders are struggling at the moment. But uh, but on that basis, I think the Broncos at Suncorp, Saturday night game, they will continue their winning ways. Yeah, Broncos at home on a Saturday night. Uh, I think Canberra are dreaming if they're going to think they're going to win. <laughs> All right. Uh, Titans versus the Dragons. So Titans coming off a bye. Dragons coming off a huge upset win against the Dolphins. I think that won't be enough, though, because I'm tipping the Titans will uh, bring the Dragons crashing back to reality. Yeah, a bit hard to pick this one, but I'll go with the home team, which is the Titans. 
All right, Newcastle Knights at home against the New Zealand Warriors, the Sunday 6.15pm game. Um, I'm tipping the Warriors on this one based on what we saw last weekend. Mm, yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Warriors as well. I uh, just wonder all the ch- – I don't know how they've prepared for this game. Like, I don't know if they went home or not. So, but anyway, but Warriors for mine on this one. All right, and finally, the Easter Monday clash, Tigers v Eels. Uh Neither team going very well. Both team desperate to win. I think the Eels uh, have shown that they're more than capable of winning this one. Okay. Well, I've got to show a bit of faith in my team, so I'm going to go for the Tigers. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well done. And the Sharks are having a bye, so good luck to them winning the two points. Um, (laughs) And look, that's it. That wraps up our Easter round preview episode of this podcast. Uh, don't forget to check us out at rorepublic.com uh, or you can email us at rorepublic at gmail.com if you have any ideas or feedback that you want to send to us. Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening, but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.